you are listening to the Stoic Solutions Podcast, Practical Wisdom for Everyday Life. I'm your host, Justin Vakula, with episode 87, Discussion with Tyler Martina. Around this time last year, I spoke with Tyler of the Mr. Inkwell's Tattoo Shop concerning Stoicism on the topics of happiness, overcoming adversity, finding meaning in life, self-improvement, and mindset. Thanks to listeners who have re-engaged with my podcast and for positive comments on new episodes this September 2019. Welcome, of course, as well to new listeners. Enjoy this discussion, a blast from the past. So for those out there who might not really know exactly what Stoicism is, can you kind of explain like the key principles in a nutshell? Sure. I like to think of Stoicism as a virtue-based approach to life aimed at achieving contentment. I like to focus on topics like acceptance, gratitude, finding meaning in life, coping with adversity, with the recognition that there are lots of ups and downs in life, suffering as many would call it. How could we build some mental toughness? How can we get through some trying parts of life? And how can we also help others and be a part of society definitely and then stoicism is really like you said uh when you're like training yourself almost to be a stoic is it's a lived philosophy right philosophy sometimes gets a reputation as being very much in academics or in an ivory tower and really not applicable to everyday living but i find stoicism to be very practical and as my podcast title suggests offering solutions for everyday concerns people have yeah, and that's a big part of stoicism is being able to focus on things that you can control, like your feelings, correct? That's right. It's a big point in many of the stoic authors. We talk about Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Epictetus, distinguishing what's inside and outside of our control. And sometimes there's a little bit of both. So it's something to really sit down and reflect upon. Many problems we can create for ourselves, uh, Seneca particularly notes, are of our own making, right? We're, we're making situations worse. We're not adjusting to that. Our perceptions aren't aligned with reality. So we ought to work on having a clear picture of life and being able to better cope with some emotions or feelings that we have. It's not to say that we're going to discard feelings, discard emotions. It's a human thing that we're going to have certain reactions to events that happen. But what should the proper reactions be? Surely some are better than others so we can work on acting, behaving, responding appropriately. Yeah, a lot of people, when they think of stoicism, they think of somebody just almost like the Webster de dictionary definition of a stoic. Like they think of an unemotional mm. person just uh, sitting there almost like a robot. But that's not the case. Right. Even some people describe it as a more Western form of Buddhism, as I find a lot of overlaps between the two approaches. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I'm 100% I'm on board. And with me, when uh, because I, I'm from the United States, so I grew up with a Western philosophy sort of taught to me just naturally from mm -hmm. my environment. I It was really hard for me to relate to how things were worded in Buddhism and kind of like the mystical connotation there. But mm -hmm. when I started looking into stoicism and stuff like that, it really hit home with me a lot. Right. And what I like about stoicism is that one can consider it as a big tent philosophy that a lot of people can really come inside and benefit from it. Indeed, there are some concepts in stoicism talking about providence, talking about um, some of the definitions of nature or some universal order that 
may be foreign to some people, particularly non-religious, but even then we can understand, okay, well, yes, we see order, we see structure in the universe, we see how, well, modern science has a lot to say, modern physics has a lot to say about how the universe works, and even if you're religious or not, or you happen to be of a particular political leaning or not, I think there's something for everyone within Stoicism. Yeah, for sure, and I think it's a it's kind of like a bridge between um, the different religions, like and ideologies, being like like you said with uh, with there being fate, like amor fati. That's like a a mm-hmm. big stoic saying, and that essentially you know you can't control everything, but when you're uh, like you're a poker player, right? Mm-hmm, that's right. All right, so I think stoicism and poker, there you can draw a really good analogy there with playing the cards that you're dealt, right? Oh, absolutely. There's, there's certainly many themes about games and gaming, some analogies, especially in Epictetus talking about imitating those who play games of chance or dice, as he says, the, the counters are indifferent, the dice are indifferent, but what does come up, I use that with my skill and respond appropriately there's also a lot of talk about life being like a warfare not like a picnic or some sort of vacation but there are going to be ups and downs in life and such comes with gambling that we can make all the right moves we can uh, for listeners who aren't familiar we can get all in with the best possible hand but still end up losing because there's a chance element to things so stoicism really calls us to focus on the process rather than the results as we can make all the right moves in life but end up for whatever reason on the losing end of things and even stoicism is encouraging us to reframe what it might mean to lose. If something is outside of our control, that's not going to be something that we're worried so much that we're going to be devastated or lament the state of the universe or talk about bad luck or anything. These aren't going to be helpful responses. Yeah, definitely. You don't want to uh, pin all your hopes on things like we talked about earlier that are out of your control. Right. And even in the realm of language, you hear people talking about things such as he made me angry. They forced me to do that. It's their fault. They got me so upset. And this is very foreign language to the Stoics in that they're saying, well, we're supposed to take responsibility and accountability for ourselves, that we can become better trained to respond to things that might be associated with stress and even reframing language and not blaming others. And taking that accountability is definitely a step in the right direction. That's a lot of the focus of this year's Stoic Week is happiness and mm-hmm. um, what that means. So what what would happiness, I guess, mean to you? Some people will think of happiness as one of these terms where many people will give different, different definitions, as if you talk to people about what it means to have faith or to love something or someone or to be driven, right? You might get all sorts of different responses. Happiness, some people might associate with pleasure, momentary pleasure particularly, and those pleasures and moderations can be good, but that isn't a lasting thing, the Stoics note, but rather happiness is going to be found more in contentment with tranquility and just being very pleased with our station in life and not wanting so much more and curbing our desires, curbing expectations and living a life with a balance of challenge, balance of rest, balance of meaningful work or meaningful activity in which one is benefiting others, self-improving. And the Stoics 
really leave this question open. They don't say, oh, this is one particular life, this is what you should do, but rather alert us to the fact that we all have skills and talents and that we play different roles in life. We could play those roles well, being part of society and contributing some sort of value. I personally like um, the fact that if you read like Seneca, he talks about it a lot too. One of the big three of Stoicism that suffering wouldn't happen if it wasn't part of what a whole life was. Yeah, there's the talk of suffering just being something that's inevitable, that it's not always going to be joyous, that there's going to be change, it's just inherent to the universe. There's going to be death, destruction, decay, empires will rise and fall, people will come and go memories will come and go right it's just part of life it's not just going to be this steady calm but we could appreciate the positives that come amidst some of the downturns and once again learn to respond well to what some would consider to be suffering yeah and actually you know embrace the suffering a little bit that's one of the things that that i get out of it is that you know, it's part of nature, just like you said, with like death and all of that, that's part of everything. And you kind of have to, you kind of want to love quote unquote, everything, even if it means suffering every once in a while, that's part of the human experience. Right. Something that would give us some sort of call to arms, some call to action with which we can improve and help others as well, rather than just this a life where we don't experience any kind of challenge. We're just say sitting on a couch and watching some mindless television for our lives. That wouldn't be a happy life in my estimation. I wouldn't want to have a life like that, but rather I want to be challenged. I want to learn new things. I want to grow. I want to be active. I want to take on some new roles, some new tasks in life. And that would be something that I would consider to be pleasurable. Some people put too much emphasis on, once again, these momentary pleasures like, oh, this and that food or these sexual experiences or drugs or a lot of spending that's associated. And it doesn't seem like that really makes them happy in the long run, especially when you consider so many celebrities, so many people who happen to be famous, that they have all this money, they have all of these fans, and they're still unhappy. Uh, definitely. I'm totally on board with that. And on the same note, a lot of those traits that you say, things that you enjoy, would be a lot of things that I think make people high performers and high achievers in life. Do mm. you think, for the most part, that stoicism creates high performers? Or do you think that high performers are drawn to stoicism because it's similar to, you know, the life that they live already? I think it can be a mix of those things. Some people might be inspired by the writings as I believe it was Seneca who talks about reading some philosophical texts and he talks about how he comes away with it with such a vigor that he wants to face challenges and he's has this attitude of bring it on. I, I want to see adversity. I want to fight it. You know, I, I want to have these experiences where he doesn't want all these terrible things to happen, but rather as he talks about having a formidable opponent, and maybe that's in Epictetus too, talking about a wrestler who they, they don't want some amateur opponents, they don't want an easy contest, but rather one that will challenge them. And from that challenge, they can learn and grow rather than everything just being so easy. Who, who is your favorite out of the big three, just out of curiosity? Because we keep, yeah. we keep quoting like, Seneca, and then we quote, uh, who was an advisor to Nero, right? 
Uh-huh. And then we have Marcus Aurelius, who was an emperor. He's probably the most famous of the three. And then we have Epictetus, who is probably personally my favorite, just because mm-hmm. it's uh, it's really like quick hits, and I like it because you could remember a lot of it. Um, and, and he was he was a slave that kind of uh, worked his way out of slavery. The wit and humor of Epictetus, some of the quicker passages, as you mentioned, and Marcus is an interesting figure because he's had so much power, but yet he writes about some daily struggles that he has in dealing with, as he says, difficult people, that this is something we should prepare for. And even as the emperor, it's interesting to see those contrasts and you get the inspiring passages like being the rock or being the promontory in which the waves crash and a lot of inspiration through there. Seneca I particularly like because it seems that he blends a lot of psychology and counseling into his work as they might not have called it that back then, but that's a background that I have that I'm studying counseling and applying stoicism in that. So I find a lot of nice passages from Seneca that I've used on my podcasts and even with some clients that I've worked with. Yeah. The psychology and the, um, the behavioral health that's what your behavioral health worker so that's right yeah and and all of that that i've noticed a lot even like a great example would be that serenity prayer that a mm-hmm. lot of uh, addicts use and that in my opinion has definite roots in stoicism yeah and there's the on the shortness of life that i've seen actually used in some drug rehab programs and that that's given people good inspiration to change. And yes, even parallels between Stoicism and Christianity, as I've had a guest on my podcast talk about that. We've talked about the serenity prayer, and I know that's something that Massimo Piliucci has mentioned in his work as well, in his book, How to Be a Stoic. For those that don't know, I don't even know the exact date, but Stoicism was founded in around 300 BC. Is that right? Is uh what talking about Zeno, Cleanthes, some of the earlier figures? Yeah, yeah, like when he found. I know he like. I mean, you could correct me. You're the you're the expert here, obviously. But, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the best with dates. But. Yeah, but I think that's when, you know, he um, arrived on shore without much, and then he saw Socrates speak or something, and mm-hmm. then well, that was around 300 BC, right? what a merchant was shipwrecked but he wanted to inquire as to who were the leading minds who should he look for for guidance and the philosophers happened to be offering a lot of reprieve for him yeah (laughs) and probably i mean based off of plato's writings about socrates probably quite a lot of entertainment too just just watching the rhetoric (laughs) yeah and socrates is mentioned a lot in the stoic writing as they they view him as a role model donald robertson who also writes on Stoicism and maintains the Stoic Philosophy Facebook page, talks a lot about Socrates as well, parallels between his work and that of the Stoics. So you see a a very foundational part of Western culture, and it's really having a modern revival, which is quite nice, in that so many people from different areas of life are looking to Stoicism for personal benefit, helping others and getting their lives in order. Yeah, it's an ideology. I mean, it's really transcended the ages. Like we were talking about 300 BC, and now it's 2018. That's mm-hmm. a long shelf life. And the fact that yeah. it, that it still seems really relevant today, like like when you're reading people like Seneca, and you're mm-hmm. reading those letters, it's a letter that somebody... That's right. It's an interesting thing to see that many of the problems that they faced back then are still 
here today, Seneca talks of there's this uh, one passage he has to his friend Lucilius, I believe it's called the, the degeneracy of the age in which people are talking about a new thing that's come about. And he said, no, 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 there have always been things throughout every age of history that people say have corrupted society or this and that is bad about human nature. And you hear people talking about the good old days and how great it was back then, but there are always some social ills or something that isn't always the best for society. So even back then, people have had their concerns. Life has been difficult back then, and it still is today. And even now, we just have so many more resources. We have the internet, we have technology, and so many things that can lead people to improve their lives. But yet, still, many of the same struggles, still human nature, particularly the darker sides of it, happen happens to be associated with a lot of the ills of society. How do you feel about the, um, the I guess, the social and political climate um, in America right now? What, what's, your, what's your opinion on it? Yeah, it, it seems really difficult in that many people are just seeming to go along with their ideological camp, and they're not really concerned about having the discussion. It's demonizing the other side. It's really not being charitable toward political opponents. It's very very difficult to have the conversations and it's just about oh can my team win here how am i going to try to throw down the other guy and just so many exaggerations and it just gets really divisive and really heated and it's it's really difficult uh, I, I find myself one who's not even one to embrace labels because i think well do i want to be associated with this or that person who uses this label maybe we can talk about ideas instead or we can focus on an issue-by-issue issue basis, but it's just really hard now. It seems to be a difficult place to be in modern society with all of these different people, labels, identities, and I wonder where do I fall? So I try to stray away from the labels there and just seeing a lot of difficulty with many sides. Totally on board with you there. I think if you start if you start drawing lines or whatever you want to call it, 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 uh, it definitely makes things a lot more difficult and makes, uh, decisions turn into fights rather than actual debates or arguments to find a solution. It, it was interesting in that I was talking to a religious person recently and right out of the gate, they were assuming, Oh, well, I don't want to debate. I'm sure we disagree on this. So I don't even want to talk about it. And I said, well, maybe that's not the case. Maybe we can find some agreement. We could find some common ground. And if we don't, then maybe we can talk about it and better understand each other. But sometimes that's how the conversation is. The people either don't want to talk about it or they just assume it's going to be heated. And perhaps that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If they think it's going to be heated, perhaps they'll be heated or they just can't have the discussion in a more rational, detached manner where the Stoics are talking about truth is truth no matter where it comes from. And really, you want people to engage your ideas. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to have an ignorance is bliss attitude or just check out. We can have humility and say, well, I've changed my mind in the past. There's been new information and we need to revise our beliefs and be open, not too open, of course, and that we're just going to accept any idea that comes on the table and join the Flat Earth Society or whatever other uh, fringe group is out there today. But rather to have that open-mindedness and the willingness to revise our belief. 
I think Seneca talks about it too, where he says, uh, you know, you're supposed to take a lot from philosophy, but you also have to give back and be able to adjust it as you go. Yeah, he, he talks about appreciating the people who have come before us, but we're not to be completely tied down to their ideas that we can recognize people as teachers, but it's not the final say on things that we want to continue investigating. I mean, that's what philosophy is. It's it's essentially an ongoing investigation to live, in my opinion, the best life that you can. That's right. And to recognize the progress that we can make as well, whereas many people will want to just give up initially or they'll say that they want something that they want to change, but do they put in the effort? Are they going to be too hard on themselves if they happen to not have progress so quickly? And even Epictetus talks about dealing with anger, that anger would be a significant issue for him, but he noticed himself gradually becoming less angry, and he was very happy about that, that he would, uh, I think it was like celebrate a Thanksgiving or give himself a pat on the back or something until it became more of a gradual issue, and that change isn't going to happen overnight, but we can embark on a journey and become better. We can recognize, uh, going, going back to poker, there's a lot of talk about finding leaks in your game and areas that you can improve some mistakes that you might be making. And poker's really drawn me to look at life and saying, where are my life leaks? How can I better optimize the way I live? And stoicism calls us to do that. How can we use our time better and not squander the limited time that we have? Where should we be spending our time? Who should we be associating ourselves with, right? There are a lot of questions that we should ask of ourselves and people I think should be eager to do this and say well yeah this life is short yeah our death can happen at any time so let's really make the most of it while we still can and I think that's a big reason why what what scares people a little bit so me personally an example that doesn't have to do with philosophy that exactly is I I'm I work out a lot and I um I I hurt my shoulder and so mm -hmm. what I had to do even though I was used to working out the same way over and over but that was obviously causing bad things to happen to me physically <laughs> I had to say all right maybe I don't know so I had to, you know and that's scary for people to do I had to say maybe I don't know and I had to relearn from the beginning how to work back out and I had to start at a really low pace place to get back to where I was at now, you know, years later, I'm back to where I was and better than ever, which is good. And I think it's kind of the same with philosophy is that people think, you know what, let's just uh, capitalism ideology, like the more money I make, the better my life is like, that's how people feel in America right now. But if if you say, well, maybe not, they I mean, look, right now you're having these consistent problems that recur over and over again maybe mm -hmm. true virtue is something that you should go after um that scares people because they think you know what i already have this figured out but wait i have to i have to fucking start all over and and mm -hmm. you know reevaluate what i'm doing do you think that may be why people um people are kind of scared to to take that leap yeah well first the money thing is interesting the stoics talk about money just being an indifferent, that it can make our lives better, but it also can make our lives worse. So it's a question of how are we going to use the money? If we're going to just buy all of this stuff that doesn't seem to have value, 
doesn't really seem to add much to our lives, then is that really a wise purchase? Is that really a wise decision? I mean, you're saving this money, you go on this expensive vacation, you come back, and then you're talking about living paycheck to paycheck, and that's going to add some financial stress to your life. You're not going to have some sort of safety or emergency fund like this business of living just week to week and just wanting instant gratification all the time and just not having extra money. That seems to be a miserable existence to me, but rather (laughs) I can have more peace of mind and having money saved and having something to fall back on should there be an emergency. And it really gives you a lot of flexibility in life and not being tied down to one particular situation as many people talk later in life about having regrets and being in situations where they think that they're stuck, particularly in the realm of relationships where people are together for 10, 15 years, even longer. And they're saying, oh, well, you know, we're just going to stay together now because we've been together all this time, but they're miserable. And what what real good is that? I, I can't really see much positive coming with that. So yes, reorienting and saying, well, okay, it's maybe it's not money that's going to fix everything everything, but rather the way I think about life. And I I want to, yes, have this virtue or value oriented mindset and really reevaluate and constantly be asking those questions. And what value does this have? Is this a wise decision? How should I structure my day? What are the goals that I want to achieve and not procrastinate and get at it even a little bit at a time, as I mentioned? How would you get somebody you started on stoicism? What would you say? Would you say maybe start, would you introduce them to some of the ideals? Or would you say, here's some reading material and let them check out meditations or something? What do you think the first bite to get somebody addicted would be? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question because the reading material may be difficult at first, especially if someone has the older translations. But there are many resources online. Uh, Greg Sadler is another person who has some wonderful content on YouTube, a lot of discussion of the Stoics where he wants to bring the ancient ideas to a modern audience, as many others. There's the Sunday Stoic podcast as well with Steve Carafit. There's the Practical Stoic podcast with Simon Drew. There, there are many There's out there. There's your that, podcast. Yes, as, as I mentioned, yes, the Stoic Solutions <laughs> podcast. And I also have a Discord channel where people can join an interactive discussion that's also on my page. And a lot of YouTube content, I mean, even just searching Stoicism in YouTube and finding finding talks like TED Talks. Massimo Piliucci has several. There's the School of Life that has a few on Stoicism that do a good job. So I offer a list of resources on my page, uh, justinvacula.com or stoicsolutionspodcast.com and I also find a lot of stoic themes in music that can be something that can really reach out to people especially if they're already familiar with the artists or they're looking for something else that has these stoic themes what what are some stoic jams or some stoic artists yeah, the one of the first that comes to mind is a band in called Cellar Darling. They were a guest on my podcast. They were very gracious to attend in that one of their songs, now titled Hola Baloo, was originally titled Tears of a Stoic, in which they wrote about a difficult situation that happened in life that really challenged their inner strength, that challenged their fortitude, and wondering about all these emotions that just come flooding across and how they are to adjust to this. So that that song, Hola Baloo, is particularly good from their album, This Is The Sound. They also have another one called Under the Oak Tree, which is an appreciation of life and a meditation on death, just recognizing that we take for granted the time that we have with others in that we think that, oh, it will go on forever. 
but yet the un- but still the unexpected happens. So they appreciate the time that they've had with a loved one, a friend, and many people can relate to that as that's a human experience. There's also music from the band Anathema, which has experimented with many genres throughout their career. It's a song called Leave No Trace. They talk about themes about the, the fleeting moment, about how suddenly things can change. Here and now we are gone in a heartbeat, a dream in the passage of time, right? So you, you get that stoic theme, just calling attention to the present moment and how it just goes by, how the days can go by. So we're to really appreciate the time that we have. Awesome. And yeah, a lot of the a lot of those are based off of some really easy to remember maxims too, like uh, memento mori comes to mind yeah. with with what you're saying. Yeah, is there a, what what are a few more of those like just little quick maxims that that people can say and kind of what they mean, what they're supposed to mm-hmm. remind you of? Yes, yeah, someone asked me about that. I had a podcast episode that was talking about stoic mantras. And there's one from Seneca that's pretty interesting. It's uh, a man who is sailing on the seas and ends up getting uh, assaulted by an opposing force. And all of these people are around him. He's he's about to be captured or killed. And they they ask him, you know, where where is the commander of the ship? And he he doesn't want to give up where the location is, as far as I remember. And even when all this adversity is amidst him, he says, all is well with the commander. <laughs> so <laughs> you have all these external pressures, but yet one still has their faculty of choice. So that, that could be something to remember. Uh, um, maybe hopefully situations won't be so bad for us just being surrounded by people who want to kill us. But uh, we, we could remember that, that, well, as long as we still have our choice, as long as we still have our reason, that's a really good place to be. That's what we can control, even if others happen to surround us in these extreme situations. There's also a line from Seneca. He says, let us see who wins, uh, talking about facing challenge and facing adversity, as there are some of those moments where you can't turn away, that you really have to face the challenge. So this can be a moment for us to embrace that and to, again, do the best with what we have. Uh, and Marcus Aurelius also talks about the obstacle being the way, right? And not just seeing something as a barrier, something that's going to stop us, but rather to try to find a way to solve the problem, right? We, we can look at life again as a game or a challenge, and that can be something helpful. A lot of talk about death, and it's in some of the music too, as uh, there's also a metal band, Death, which is... Uh, very foundational in the death metal Seneca genre. Seneca probably loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Stoics talk about the, the door being open, and if the building is burning down, then it's time to leave, talking about how the quality of life is more important than the quantity, that we should have the courage to end our lives when we determine that life is no longer worth living. Of course, this is going to be an extreme situation. We're not just going to willy-nilly end it all. We can very much cope with a lot of the adversity in life, as I've talked about many strategies of doing that. So the, the band Death is talking about death with dignity, actually, in a song of theirs, they have suicide machine, a request to die with dignity. Is that too much to ask? Robbed of their natural abilities in death, they seek tranquility. In a confused state of mind, extending agony, they must be blind. 
That that is really nice, especially with um with today's technological climate. I guess you'd say there's a lot of people, and some people might even say it's like hubris, but are trying to extend human life indefinitely. And mm-hmm. obviously nowadays there's people, uh, in my opinion, extending their life in, but not the quality of their life at all. So they're living a long, low quality life rather mm-hmm. than a shorter, high quality life. Yeah, and I think even in Seneca, there's comparison of life to a play or acting. He's saying that it's not the length of the play that's important, but rather the quality of the play itself or the acting, right? So that's another comparison they have there. And another death song, Pull the Plug, has the lyrics, life ends so fast, so take your chance and make it last. That's (laughs) great. Yeah, and Seneca... I'm pretty sure it's Seneca who talks about it too. He says that there, I'm like I've made the joke about before. This dude talked a lot about death. Everybody out there, so uh, if you listen to some Seneca, don't yeah. be afraid to hear about dying and how to die well. He says there's only one way into the world: being born, obviously. But he's like, mm-hmm. there's men can actually choose whatever yeah. way they want to leave the world. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not to have such a a morbid or nihilistic view of things, (laughs) right? But rather to say, oh, well, we could actually prepare for this. That is associated with so much anxiety and not to see death as such a horrendous thing. Of course, we're going to prefer to live. But again, what's inside and outside of our control? So we can really say, well, especially for the non-theists out there, if we don't think there is an afterlife, if we don't think life is going to go on forever, we could say, well, let's have a good life while we still can. That, that's an important message that I hope that listeners can take away, if anything. Yeah, enjoy the time you're here and, and live it the, the right way. Now, I keep talking about virtue, too. And so mm-hmm. the the four, I mean... I guess personally, I would think wisdom kind of encompasses all of them, but um, it would be wisdom, temperance, there would be justice and courage. Those would be the yep. four pillars, right? That's right, yeah. Which one of those do you think is people have the most trouble with right now? Would you say it, it's uh, it's temperance or it's courage to stand up and do what's right or mm. you know, justice? Yeah, I, I think that moderation or temperance might be one of the most difficult if we want that instant gratification, if we know that we're making decisions that are probably bad ones, people end up making excuses. And some of the language is just so strange in the marketing as I've radically changed the way that I eat and live my life. And I, I've moved from a lifestyle very early on of just consumption, you know, who really cares? My parents really didn't talk about healthy eating and it was just, oh, we're just going to make whatever tastes good and view food as a pleasurable experience. But I think that's incredibly overrated. If we can instead move to a viewpoint of food being sustenance, okay, we could find some pleasure maybe in the social experience or something that tastes good, but I don't think that's the primary concern. People talk about food being good, but Again, we're talking about words that have different definitions or meanings. And if people are talking about, oh, that Big Mac was so good. And to me, I have a nauseated feeling when thinking about that. I, I, I don't want to consume a Big Mac. I, I don't think that's going to add to the quality of my life, especially when there are just so many other options. So people, I think, make many mistakes in the realm of food, especially when you have just so many comparable options that are just so much better that, well, OK, maybe you can avoid that five cheese ravioli and instead 
go with the veggie topping and the minestrone soup. Like, uh, um, so, I mean, people will talk about, oh, well, it's just the one time I go out a week and okay, maybe you could have a cheat day and it, it just won't be so bland, but there's a lot of healthy food that really tastes good and that's economical as well. So I think people make a lot of mistakes there. Uh, social media can really draw people in and they can find themselves squandering a lot of time on that or perhaps binge watching YouTube and is this really adding much to our life? So I, I tend to take a more balanced perspective and offer some time for leisure, offer some time for fun. It's not, as some critics stoicism would say, a boring, dull life, right? We're, we're still having hobbies. We're still... Uh, hopefully blending fun with education at the same time and learning something from that which we are doing. I mean, even the kids that I work with, I work with kids in elementary school, they talk about, oh, I, I, I want to play war or I want to play Uno and I don't find much skill involved in either game. <laughs> I mean, obviously there's a little bit more in Uno, but I bring in games that really encourage a lot of critical thinking skills that really encourage you to pay attention where your decisions are going to be more meaningful, where it's more of a challenge. And I think they actually take really well at first, you know, they, they might, Oh, you know, this is too hard or something, but you know, it's like, all right, let's slow down. Let's take it a step at a time. And I guide them through the process. And I've seen kids gain a lot of confidence in seeing their skills improve winning and it's not just me throwing games and just letting them win all the time i don't do that at all right it's like yeah. oh well, we can learn by watching others that you know you can learn from some of the things i do and i say like oh well let's stop and think so it's this idea of again having these challenges and seeing some improvement and really asking ourselves oh is this worthwhile entertainment is this something we should be indulging in and if it's something like okay well we have some i suppose some mindless entertainment here and there but hopefully not too much right uh, we'll have some sort of balance in our life. So I think a lot of people have problems with moderation. And I even question a lot of life decisions that people make. Um, people talk about, oh, I'm going to get married. And they tend to drop thousands of dollars on ceremony. And I think, oh, well, maybe instead you could use that to pay rent. Or instead <laughs> of buying this really expensive jewelry, you know, maybe you can have something far more modest and still be in a pretty good state right so it's just a lot of basic ideas that people have maybe from culture or they really haven't reflected on things and they, they tend to live a lifestyle that's far different than the one that i've adopted there's just so much out there like we have all of our real like needs met as people like we have air to breathe most of right, us right. have clean water and we have enough food to live on but with everything out there people like you said the instant gratification but one of the i guess little maxims that i like to uh to think about is everything has a price so yeah, you might absolutely. not think about it you might think oh this is really inexpensive so i'm gonna spend you know hardly any money on it and then or this food i can get it really fast so i don't have to wait for it or this game like you said uno is really really easy to pick up and learn how to play, but I'm not going to get as much enjoyment out of a game that I put in a couple hours to learn how to actually play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and e even it was an interesting experience I had recently as I've delved into the very frugal 
world of credit cards and deals and I had this promotion <laughs> to save 15% on eBay purchases and I could have purchased up to like $600 of things and I'm sitting here thinking well actually I'm pretty happy with what I have right now I'm not going to purchase the full $600 like oh I could buy all these postage stamps but you know how many <laughs> could I really have I could get it to the resale market but well you know I'm pretty cool with what I have now and uh, I'll find some other purchases at another time it's not like I just want to buy everything and oh i can get the shiny thing but no nah, i'm, I'm all right right now it's cool it's cool so th- that was a very stoic moment i had recently i've even sending messages to friends and saying oh what would you suggest you buy you know do you want to join in on this order and i'm working <laughs> to clear this bonus and it's it's pretty funny and there's another area where people really lack the moderation as the credit card companies will give you these very good introductory offers but many people end up not paying what they put into it and then they end up paying interest and they find themselves in debt and oh no way i'm not doing that at all i I pay it off before the interest hits i'm never paying the interest i'm um, keeping my spending very responsible and the same way with with gambling too as sometimes people have this extreme reaction and they think oh you're just a degenerate you know this is crazy what you're doing I couldn't believe you would wager your rent money in a game of poker or something. Like, oh, no, no, no. You know, I yeah. see so they're viewing it the wrong way. They're coming in with a lot of assumptions, and it, it's a very measured approach that I take. It's not just willy-nilly, let's flip coins for $700 or something. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's not that. But meanwhile, they're going You're, up. like, on Tatooine, just, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but meanwhile, they're scratching yeah. the lottery tickets and buying their match six uh, lottery tickets... Uh, Powerball, whatever, like, oh, okay, well, some gambling, okay, but others, merrily. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting life, but it, it really leads me to, stoicism really leads me to question a lot of the assumptions that I've had earlier in life and really change my approach to living. So it's, it's a wonderful thing that stoicism can offer. Awesome. And so what are three things, I, I know I'm keeping you on a little oh, longer. No, that's okay. Yeah. So what what would you just say three things are like the audience could take away from stoicism that would probably make the biggest difference? Yeah, I think gratitude is a really big one. It's a theme that I continue to reflect on in my podcasts. Thank and, you for saying that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that I really look and well, OK, this situation was difficult today. But look at all these things that have gone well as so many people just look at one or maybe a handful of things in life that they don't like, but overlook a lot of the positives. And that, that's really a mindset thing. We can focus on the things that are going well and we can focus on what's inside of our control and be really happy for that, even if it means making a physical list of the things that we have, the people that we know, the experiences we've had, and how good we really have it. And of course, not all lives are going to be super great, fun, and you know, there's obviously stressors, right? Um, there's anxiety, there's stuff in the past that people have encountered that really makes life more difficult. Some people are economically disadvantaged, right? It's some criticism is stoic, like, oh, you just have a really privileged position and it's easier for you to live the lifestyle than others. Like, okay, well, maybe it is, but you could look toward the philosophy and be more content about things that are outside of your control. Yeah, and like Epictetus, like I was mentioning one of the big three, he started off in not the most equitable position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming from a slave. And it's another stoic tune, you might say. It's a song from the band Anathema, again, called A Natural Disaster. And the 
chorus of the song, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, I can't change what happened, can't change what happened. So it's this acceptance that could be number two, um, just taking an acceptance, recognizing how life is and making terms with that and also trying to change things that we can't improve our situation, improve our mindset and work to make life better for us and others. Perfect. And then what would, what would number three be? Number three, number three, I think it would be finding meaning in life in that many people seem to talk about how life just seems to be really repetitive. It seems to be dull. They're looking for that weekend to come because their Monday through Friday seems pretty terrible. So how can we find meaning in that which we consider to be drudgery? What can we do a little bit differently? And if our current position may be a job we don't particularly like, we can always view that as a means to an end and look to move on to a different part of life and really try to find things that can lead us to feel a feeling of accomplishment. I helped someone today. I did something. I made some progress rather than just like a soul sucking job where you're just sitting at a desk and you know, what, what are you really contributing? And many people find themselves in that position and, Oh, that, that seems, that seems to be pretty bad. Yeah. And, and like you said, whatever, position you are in you can in my opinion you can do things that are in your control to help try to uh, improve your preferred indifference so i did a post recently in that the stoicism group on facebook that you were talking about mm -hmm. about whether or not i should tell my seven-year-old the truth about santa right so oh. um and i because uh, she'd come to me asking she like She's obviously was on the fence about it already. So I've already actually done what I was going to do. What would your advice be? Let's see. Yeah. Let's see if I, I made a good decision. <laughs> One of my past podcast guests is Dr. David Kyle Johnson, who writes extensively on the topic of Santa and whether we should tell our children about Santa, how we should present it. And he actually has a book called The Myths That Stole Christmas and talking about what he calls to be the Santa Claus lie. And he encourages parents to be more upfront with their children and teach of Santa as a tradition, as a fiction, and not teaching it as a literal Santa, a literal being, but rather talking about how this can really undermine parental role in lying to your kids is not a good thing. The kids can really come to wonder why is it that the kids who seem to be rich get more and the kids who are economically disadvantaged get far less. And the rich kids might have some really poor behavior, but they still get rewarded for it. He doesn't really think this is an appropriate parenting tool that, oh, well, you know, just be on your good behavior just because you want this reward, but rather, no, actually, there, there are other reasons for behaviors and you should have some self-respect and here are the rules and here's why you should be a good person rather than just tying it to a gift. So you can look up Dr. David Kyle Johnson, Santa, you can Google, you can find many pieces on it and his book on Christmas and find out more about that. So he has a child as well. And he plans on being open about it and even teaching as kind of a game, an exercise in critical thinking. It's gone pretty far in some circles as some adults have made uh, what seems to be a mockumentary where they have some adults pretending that they're the scientists and that they found the sleigh runner in a desert. And this is how Santa Claus exists because well oh look this is a part of the sleigh and we found this film footage and we can see santa as we speed through it and 
you know, it's, it's all this thing. Uh, they're talking about like, oh, well, this is how he can travel so fast in such a short amount of time. And it's like it goes so deep into this fabricating lie. a belief yeah. in something. <laughs> yeah. You know, why, why can't you just teach it in a more honest way as a cultural tradition, as maybe the spirit of Christmas, even if you want to do it that way and just not be dishonest about it. It also sets a kid up for some shame as maybe some of the older kids have found out the truth. And, you know, your kid is just sitting there insisting that no, Santa is real. My parents told me. And then there's this question of, Oh, is my parent a liar? Is my parent honest? What else can I doubt? Uh, <laughs> That's what I, was that's what i was really afraid of is i'm honest with my daughter literally about everything but it's just one of those things where people were like oh don't take that away from a kid you know oh it's, yeah yeah it's Santa. Yeah, you're like you're ruining christmas you know you're, yeah, ruining, know. you're ruining their childhood like these <laughs> yeah, yeah i i just told her the truth and and it worked out pretty well so the way i, I didn't rudely just say there's no such thing as santa <laughs> stupid or anything like that yeah but um yeah i told her i basically because she was already doing the critical thinking so she was like how does he get in our house if we don't have a chimney and she was like does he huh? just like break in the back door i thought that was funny <laughs> that she thought he broke in the back instead of the front and then I, she was like and like how would he get everywhere in one night and so um i was like yeah he's he's not real but the idea of helping people out is real and that's what you can do that's what you should be doing all the time but we mm -hmm. picked december 25th to really celebrate that and i just basically told her that anybody can be a santa that you know i'm mom santa and then santa our oh, yeah. mom's my santa and then i said you who santa are you gonna be you know and then she said her stuffed animal which i thought was hilarious but uh, yeah. yeah and it goes even deeper now with the elf on the shelf and that people are talking about how the elf wakes up at night and creates mischief and is watching your kids and you know that that took a sinister turn there uh <laughs> so just they make yeah. movies about that man <laughs> i know i know <laughs> Yeah. Well, cool, man. Thanks for being on the show. And then I have to ask, I, I own a tattoo shop, so I ask mm -hmm. every guest, do you have any tattoos at all? I do not. Hey, is there a particular reason why? I haven't really put too much thought into it. Uh, some ideas, though, is, oh, well, if I get a symbol today, would I be happy with it five or ten years down the line? What would the symbol be? What would I do? Is there something that is something that would endure throughout my life. I thought about the podcast logo, and if you see around the the C, there are some pips of a six-sided die as an element of chance or uh, games has been an ever-present thing throughout my life. Back when I was maybe four or five years old is when I started playing games with Super Nintendo and moving on from other things like that, playing card games, playing board games, playing Dungeons & Dragons, uh, still to today poker some other games right and it's like games and gaming have always been a part of my life so maybe that would be one way into it but i, I haven't i haven't committed to any kind of tattoo that that's cool that's a really that's actually a cool idea i'm a big gamer too like pandemic castle panic like all those <laughs> i like cooperative games a lot but uh no, not cooperative poker though. That doesn't ever. ever that doesn't <laughs> end in my favor ever. Oh, well, no. Actually, poker. during the World Series of Poker, they had an event where you can play as a tag team. It's a <laughs> tournament where you just have two people on a team, and you could work amongst each other to take breaks, and you share the same chip stack. 
Oh, okay. I was like, too, so I was thinking like a six-person table with three teams. I was like, <laughs> all right, that could get. I think that's illegal in Vegas, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would get pretty strange. Although you have some games where there are loose alliances, like uh, Hearts, particularly. Yep. Or Spades, where you have a partner and then you're playing against a team. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely yeah. Not not all cards are anti-friends. <laughs> or if you just don't like one of the players, you can definitely team up against somebody. <laughs> the bank. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that happens to me in games where they just want to beat me. It's pretty funny. <laughs> just after you. <laughs> but it always feels good to be the champion after that. It's like a Monopoly. Like everybody knows. It's funny too how in Monopoly, it's almost like real life. Like if you start with buying the slums, you end up ruling the board. But. Um, <laughs> But yeah, then once the people get mad at you, they've already lost. So it's just oh, like yeah. duh, 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 duh. <laughs> the yeah, corporation. There's, a, there's a, a game within a game there, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for yeah. thanks for chatting today. Yep. And listeners, you can find my content at justinvacula.com or stoicsolutionspodcast.com. Yeah. And then, is there anything else you want to promote? Anything like that, or was that it? You'll find me through there. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, many other platforms, and also YouTube. All right. Thanks, Justin. And yeah, talk to you soon, brother. It was a great right. time. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more content, especially a second podcast project in weeks to come, which will focus on credit cards, deals, and travel for next to no cost. I'll be at Stoicon 2019 in Athens, Greece, Thanks to the wonderful benefits which come with credit cards. Round trip flight and five night hotel paid for with points. See my website for a credit card questionnaire where you can answer questions and be guided in the right direction. Visit my website at stoicsolutionspodcast.com where you can email me, connect with me on social media, find past episodes, and join my Discord chat server for interactive discussion. Support my work through Patreon, PayPal, the Cash App, and referral links by visiting the Donate tab on my website. Podcast music, used with permission, is brought to you by Phil Giordana's symphonic metal group Fairyland from their album Score to a New Beginning. John Bartman offered free consultation and audio edits for episodes 51 through 63. Thanks to generous patrons and fans of this podcast who help support my work. Have a great day.